Sports on Point podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Smith, joined on the line, as always, by the phenom, Mr. Bob Williams. Woo! Tornadoes are stopping me! And, of course, the guy pressing the buttons, or at least attempting to, Mr. Pod Severance. You know, I've got the uh, funnel clouds going, but it has nothing to do with the weather. I'm not really sure what that even means, but... uh, (laughs) We'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. Just take a um, beefy five-layer burrito okay. and uh, some a steamboat from Damon's, and there you go. If this involves a two-liter bottle and a little mini diver guy, then I'm with you. And Mentos and Diet Coke. Okay, now I got you. It took me a while. All right, we're going to get started with our weekly rewind. The Sports on Point Weekly Rewind, a week in review with Matt Smith and Bob Williams. Let's back it up. Starting off with Thursday, Brandon Phillips shocks Twitter follower by showing up at his game. What do you think, Bob? Well, we got to love social media these days. You know, uh, I know I've I've posted Twitter uh, responses to, to athletes and things of that nature. Uh, and celebrities are not, not expecting anything of it. If I was actually, you know, whether it be Brandon Phillips or anyone else, you know, a celebrity athlete show up at whatever I'm doing, I would say that's pretty cool. And that's kind of the age that we're at with with the social media, whether it be Twitter, whether it be Facebook or or just even the Internet. This is just a cool story. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I like this. I like this kind of story. I think it was kind of funny, though, like uh, Brandon Phillips is out to eat. He's checking his Twitter on his phone. He gets this message from this kid. He finishes up eating at 6.10. The game starts at 6.15. He says, what the heck? I got nothing better to do. And he goes and makes a moment that this, this entire team of kids will never forget. It's just kind of a cool thought to think that, you know, somebody just kind of saying, I have nothing better to do. And he swings by a little game and, and, and makes uh, makes a memory that uh, these kids won't forget. I think it's pretty cool. You know, after all the crap we've seen on Twitter, I agree. I think it's pretty cool and uh, nice move. Always a good PR thing, too. On Friday, Atlanta Thrashers moving to Winnipeg. Matt? You know, I'm sitting in a hotel right now in uh, Woodstock, Georgia, just north of Atlanta. And the buzz around here is absolutely um, non-existent. Uh, nobody seems to really care down here, and I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of in favor of this move myself. I mean, it's it's a it's a uh, hockey town. I mean, Winnipeg used to have the Jets up until about '96 uh, or so when they moved to Phoenix and became the Coyotes. Um, uh, being from Northeastern Ohio and understanding what it's like to have a passionate fan base lose their sports team, I'm happy for the Winnipeggers up there. I don't know what, what do you call somebody from Winnipeg? I like Winnipeggers. I'm sticking with it. How about Winnipegians? I like Winnipeggers. I'm not going to lie. This is definitely, uh, to go along with Atlanta and and the Florida Panthers, Tampa Bay, and and you touched on the uh, Phoenix uh, franchise. This was this whole, right before the lockout, you know, there there was this gross exodus of teams or or franchises springing up in, in places where i'm gonna say they don't really belong uh good for winnipeg they are getting another uh, team but i i think this puts more back into phoenix in the fact that this was probably the franchise that was most likely to move and they'll probably be the next to go somewhere 
On Saturday, SEC will consider eliminating basketball divisions. Bob? This definitely makes sense just because uh, SEC is not really known as a, a basketball division or, or conference. So this at least gives a, a leg up on, on their, their top teams, you know, at least getting a, a better look at it, a possible NCAA tourney bid and not getting, you know, dumped in some sort of unfortunate, hey, we were in this division and not in that division type thing. Yeah, the main the main uh, driving force behind this move is the uh, is the recognition from the NCAA tournament. A lot of the uh, a lot of the teams in the SEC West feel like they've been disrespected because of the division that they play in and their uh, omission from the NCAA tournament in recent years. Uh, actually, if you look back, the division winner from the SEC West on the last two seasons, which is a which is a combined total of three teams because there was a tie at the top uh, year before last, but none of those teams have made it to the tournament, even though they won their division in what's considered to be a, I mean, a top-tier basketball basketball division. Yeah, they're not necessarily known for it, but they're still one of those quote-unquote BCS conferences when it comes to sports across the board. So uh, this is probably, probably a smart move by the SEC when you've got teams like Alabama last season, if they were competing strong like they did late in the season, against a open non-split SEC conference, I think their shot of getting into the tournament is probably a little better than it would be when their repertoire only includes wins against teams like Ole Miss and Alabama, or I'm sorry, Ole Miss and LSU. On Sunday, Ray Lewis of Baltimore Ravens says crime will rise if season is lost. This is kind of an interesting statement coming from Ray Lewis. Not that he's never been known to make instant, interesting statements before, but uh, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I was kind of stretching a little bit when I heard this. The first, my first gut reaction when I read this article was, "Boy, if it was a white athlete who said that, we would hear no end of it." But uh, in this particular case, Ray's just kind of pointing out that a, a lot of the like lower income families get entertained by the NFL so they don't commit crimes now and when they don't have it they go ahead and commit crimes is that is that what he's trying to say I don't get it I don't get it either because when you think of NFL uh, during the week or slash weekend uh, it's Sunday mid-afternoon how many crimes go down on Sunday mid-afternoon uh, <laughs> I, I guess there might be an influx on Sunday night because people are drinking because there's no football maybe Monday night but even Monday night's not like a crazy time to go out so I don't know where the heck he's coming up with this at all I guess if you consider the loss of jobs the massive loss of jobs then sure there's an increase but you could say that about any time there's a massive job losses you could say that about the last two years of economic recession I, I just I just I'm if I'm if I'm anybody else in the NFL I'm sticking I'm staying away from this topic on Monday Kyle gets buckets 2.0 all right this is a video uh, with Kyle Singler out of Duke uh, randomly just taking shots with with pretty much a portable hoop he does a lot of crazy things you know a, a classic YouTube uh, uh, video nowadays I want to know when this was taken, and uh, hopefully it was after their season. But even at that point, shouldn't this guy be in a gym working on his draft stock instead of doing something like this? Um, yeah, I I, uh, I completely and totally agree. Uh, I, I There was a, a little article I read that says maybe this will help his draft stock, but it seems to me that this little craze that we've seen recently of trick shots has not involved um, any notable pro athletes at all? I mean, we've got like backup quarterbacks, 
quarterbacks for Connecticut, and we've got uh, teams of kids from Central Oklahoma. It, I don't know. It's it's a weird phenomenon. The whole trick shots thing. Uh, it's it's kind of cool to see these videos, but show me the unedited reel where he misses each one of these shots 50 times before he finally gets to go in. And if you could show me that unedited reel and he's still hitting it in the first, I don't know, five or so attempts on each one, then I'll be impressed. On Tuesday, sources say NFL canceling rookie symposium due to labor impasse. Yeah, this actually isn't the first uh, rookie event uh, that the NFL holds that was canceled due to the lockout. Obviously, um, there was some some events scheduled for earlier this year that included uh, some financials, responsibility classes, and stuff like that. I don't think that the rookies were too uh, upset about missing out on taking some financial responsibility classes. But I can tell you the rookie symposium for the first time this year was scheduled to be held in Canton, Ohio. So uh, the folks back home are, are probably bumming a little bit. There's probably some hotels and stuff that uh, could be missing out on some revenue there. So uh, I guess it, uh, I guess it's it's bad thing overall for the NFL, but it also hits a little close to home. Yeah, definitely a bad thing overall for the NFL. Uh, this just seems to be the ongoing process of the first uh, organization or, or major NFL or major sports organization saying, hey, we don't care if we're playing. Uh, I, I saw that quote up, uh, you know, I think it was on even ESPN talking about how one of the players are, are you know, speaking about how the owners are perpetuating. Yeah, we don't care about the lockout. Uh, so it, it, more posturing beyond this. Uh, I, honestly, is it, is it really worth it to, to miss all this time? You know, you put a really good product out there. Just keep keep what's going, you know. Don't get too greedy. Uh, this just seems to be the, the ongoing process of uh, this, this summer. Uh, you know, e- each week something else gets skipped or bypassed. And, and it seems like the NFL is only hurting themselves at this point. And us as, as fans and, and people who are willing to pay the money to go to games and, and buy their merchandise – this is making it ugly for us because we're not going to, you know, we're not going to want to go and do stuff if, if they shorten the season or even extended lockout. Look at what it's done to other major fr- uh, sports, major league sports in general. And rounding the week off on Wednesday, James Harrison Lamar and Lamar Woodley blast the NFL's Steelers rule. Bob. Okay, they can blast it all they want. And I, I, I'm going to say Harrison more so than uh, Woodley. And the fact that James Harris has come out and said, yeah, I'm going to headhunt. Yeah, I understand this game is is a physical of nature. And it, you do want to, hey, create something, you know, on, on the field. But if you're headhunting like some of these other NFL players uh, are, you have to come to the point where, you have to realize that it's for the the best interest of all players involved not diminishing the fact that they can't go hard if they go hard and hit with their shoulders and not take someone's head off that's still playing hard isn't it matt uh still playing hard hard in my book but uh the thing that i thought was kind of funny is you know james harrison made a comment uh to the media about how he now officially knows that the people who make are a bunch of idiots yeah, James Harrison is from Akron, Ohio. I've, I've talked to some people who went to high school with him, and pot meat kettle. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I, 
This is just a scenario. He's no Albert Einstein, is what you're saying? Uh, not even an Oppenheimer or a Tesla. Not yeah, not not even. Uh, oh, touche. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's not pretty. We'll leave it at that. Um, it 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 seems to me that the Steeler players are just talking about this because the. The rule got named the Steelers rule. Obviously, that's nothing official, but that's the unofficial title going around the NFL. It's the Steelers rule. So they're just doing this because they feel slighted by it. I think, uh, I think if anything, it's just going to teach players to play a little bit smarter. And that's really all they're looking for, all they're looking for with these types of rules. And that's our weekend sports. Now on to our main topics of the week. Okay, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you guys think, but the first two games in both the Eastern and Western Conference Finals got me really excited about the NBA playoffs. I mean, we had we had a, a epic performance by the uh, by the Bulls in Game One. There was the crazy, ridiculous uh, win in Game Number Two for Oklahoma City after uh, benching uh, Westbrook. It was it was a little bit bizarre, but a, a win on the road nonetheless. And, some really some really interesting stuff looked like it was about to unfold and what i've seen in the last 2 days specifically just completely blew that theory out of the water i mean when you're looking at an oklahoma city team who's at home winning by 15 points with five and a half minutes left and they go on to lose that basketball game and then you know you've got a you've got a team in chicago has Miami on the ropes in in Miami, two shots at the end of the game to basically win it, keep it from going to overtime where they eventually lost. And Derrick Rose, your NFL MVP, can't hit a shot to save his life. NFL, and, yeah, NFL MVP. Oh wow, he, he, he's doing two sports. He's like the Bo Jackson of basketball. Uh, no, he's uh, Derek Rose, your your NBA MVP. There's an episode title. <laughs> the Bo Jackson of basketball. He's like the Bo Jackson of basketball. <laughs> which is which is which is a good comparison because you know that's about the only sport Bo Jackson didn't play. But um, no, you got your you've got your MVP who's crumbling in the final minutes of the big series. I don't know. It's just it's looking inevitable to me that we're going to have a rematch. Of the uh, of the NBA Finals, what was it? Two thousand and six when we had. I think it the, was uh, two thousand five. I think it was. Heat and the Dallas Mavericks. I want to say it's two thousand five. Two thousand five. Two thousand six. Possibly. Uh, sounds about right. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go say that it wasn't Derek Rose crumbling, and and unfortunately, I'm I'm also gonna give Oklahoma in, in this instance kind of a. a free pass in the, in the fact that Oklahoma City is a very young team, uh, you know, led by Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, who really weren't supposed to even get this far this year. Yeah, they were supposed to contend in the playoffs, but even getting this far, uh, especially, uh, you know, getting, going up against a, a more, I won't say overall talented, but more experienced uh, Dallas Maverick teams, they, they just kind of you know, ran into the wall per se. So I, you know, the fact that they're young, Scotty Brooks, their their coach out there, there, there's something they can learn from here. Even I, I really don't think that they're going to come back. Do they have that opportunity? Yeah, because they have the playmakers to be able to do it. 
but they're still young. You know, this is just getting them experience for next year and the year after. Um, in defense of Derek Rose, I'm sorry, you have eight seconds left and you're a coach in the NBA and all you're going to do is ISO? ISO with LeBron guarding you? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Derek Rose is 6'3", LeBron's 6'8". You get a tipped ball. Tom Thibodeau, what the hell were you thinking? Seriously, run a play. Yeah, I know you want it in his, his hands, but if you're running a play, there's more likelihood of something happening. And as soon as you 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 know knew the game was going into overtime, you knew they lost it. You you know the fact that there was the fatigue and and just just the posture on those guys. They're like, oh crap, we we completely missed out. You know, we're we're done. Okay, but you look at that. You look at that air ball. You look at the air ball that Derrick Rose throws up at the end there, and you have to think. That fadeaway air ball, even if you are running ISO, is not the shot you want. If you're Derrick Rose, you got to go strong to the hole. You got to get contact. You got to get a chance of getting a, a foul if you don't make your shot. And you got to give yourself a better shot than that. I, I, I yeah. And I think it falls back. Calling to was definitely less than spectacular, but I just really felt like Derrick Rose just shied away from the moment, and eh, it was. It, and maybe it, it was. Honestly, maybe maybe he did. I'm not going to say that he didn't, but to put all the blame on him, uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau won Coach of the Year this year, and I, I know it was more of a defensive and, and, you know, them working with the guys that they have and all the injuries that they had to work through, but honestly, that looked like Mike Brown offense, and we and we, we know the tortures of that in Cleveland, and, and unfortunately for Derrick Rose, he isn't a LeBron style guy to run that one versus five offense yeah no i totally agree i i think that uh i think that any coach that gets caught um running the iso offense when there's so there's so many good offensive systems out there i mean when you look at the world of of college basketball and you see some of the teams that have made success with with less than stellar athletes i mean you look at teams like vcu you look at teams like butler and you see the just sheer amount of creativity and thought that's put into the offensive schemes that these teams run and the backdoor cuts and all this other stuff and the nba has just devolved to a level of iso basketball that it's really, really mind-numbing at this point in time when you're watching these games that have such big implications as far as, I mean, honestly, players' careers, you get defined, especially in the city of Chicago, you get defined by your clutch performance in the postseason. And to have, I, I, I agree, to have Thibodeau out there calling for ISO with LeBron James on coverage, definitely a bad call. Well, uh, but I, I, like I said, I still got to give Derrick Rose a little bit of cult for that because. Oh, I'll, 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 again, I'll even take it a step further than that. Yeah, that you know, at, at that point, Derrick Rose needs to be like, okay, this is the call that the coach called. F this, I'm going to do something different. I get that he should have done that. If he was the, you know, the, the person that he's supposed to be, he would have done that. Go back, uh, I think it was two series before that, they had him penetrate on LeBron, go to the baseline, go under the basket, kick it out to Brewer for the three to get, you know, I think the game tied up or, or within one. That was a phenomenal play. Where, where was that at the end of the game? You had eight seconds, you had that timeout. Again, I, I, I just feel bad for them in, in the fact that that's what they called. So... Yeah. You know, at that point, they, they lost that game. 
Now, on the subject of uh, on the subject of one on five basketball, and I and I and I, I know we don't have this on the outline, but I'm just kind of curious to see what you think. Lakers, Mike Brown, good fit. Well, I know uh, during the, the article that I read, uh, the player outgoing. I guess reviews you'll say is that they wanted someone of a, a defensive mentality <sighs> and Mike Brown will give them that you know he he is a defensive mastermind uh I, I think one person who immediately hates this is Shannon Brown Shannon Brown got ran off by Mike Brown here in, in Cleveland he'll probably do the same out in uh, LA uh and and I, I if he gets a strong offensive guy with him uh, remember uh, the year before John Quester, Kester, Kuster, whatever, uh, took the Detroit job. He was with Cleveland, and they had that really, you know, really good offensive year with LeBron. So if he gets a strong offensive assistant, I think it would be an okay. But the fact that you left Rick Adelman, who is known for uh, producing something with absolutely nothing. I don't. I don't know if that's the the right choice. I would personally be going. Yeah, I know we're. I know we're sitting like 19 years removed from the Blazers' run to the NBA Finals, but uh, I, I. I don't. I don't really recall Rick Adelman ever being unsuccessful anywhere he's ever been. And the only team there was a stint see, in the Kings, I believe. Well, uh, he had a. He had a stint in the Kings where he took him to the Western Conference Championship and had him competing against the superpower Los Angeles Lakers for several okay. years. Yeah, maybe I maybe mean, that's... he didn't win anything, but I would still consider that successful. Okay, touche. I, I just remember that popping up because there was that huge gap in between Portland and, and Houston. I, I I honestly want to say there was another team. I don't know off the top of my head. I remember there being a one, you know, a pit stop, and maybe that was the Kings where he couldn't get them over the hump. Uh, but how how many uh, franchises have been uh, pretty much killed off by the Lakers? Yeah, and and it's it's kind of one of those situations. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Cleveland the past couple of years where they couldn't get out of the East except for that one year because they had the Pistons first and then the Celtics later. It's just, you know, sometimes you have really good basketball teams that just aren't as good as somebody else. And uh, I think Rick Adelman was the, was the, uh, was the victim of that scenario for, for several years. On the subject of victims, I know, over the, uh, I know over the past several months, there's been a whole lot of talk about the un- unnecessary benefits or un- uh, unallowed benefits in college football, and and uh, I've seen several articles in several different venues uh, portraying college athletes as victims, and and these in these situations where they're playing for these schools that are making million dollars off of their services, and they can't so much as get a part-time job at the car dealership. Well, the Big Ten in their annual Big Ten meetings this year, um, kicking around the idea of paying a little bit of extra money. Uh, just to, just to the tune of I think two to five thousand dollars a year um, to some of their athletes, specifically the basketball and football players, um, kicking around the idea. Nothing more than just an idea being kicked around. There's also been some rumors that the NCAA president, uh, the former NCAA president, was in favor of, of a similar plan. My guess is that. Uh, the, the Big Ten is probably going to run this idea past some other conferences, um, get a temperature rating of what everybody thinks about it, and, and if the, the feedback is pretty positive, 
I wouldn't be surprised if they they move forward with the plan. Uh, if we're talking about a structured system where the NCAA is allowing its universities to pay their players, are you in favor of it? Well, <laughs> that's a that's a tough slippery slope that you're going to go down um, because of some of the articles I've read that yeah the Big Ten's come out said it the SEC's come out and said it I think Conference USA and even the Big East were, were talking about it but the Big Ten the biggest thing with with their proposal was uh, like you mentioned it was just a little bit more and it wasn't actually paying them it was just more of a stipend to go along with their their scholarships so it's not a a straight outright paying but still that that, that's probably the way it would be going after the fact um but if anything does get implemented on it as long as it's across the board the same amounts and no actual ability for the bigger schools to have an advantage Okay, I can see you know you giving these guys an extra five hundred a semester or an extra a thousand a semester. I have no problem with that. Okay, you know as, as long as as long as uh, the biggest thing is is that you see the decline in street agents that you don't see parents calling around trying to get free handshakes or or, or uh, boosters in themselves paying uh, you know fees to to. Uh, actual student athletes and i don't know if this would actually change that at all and 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 that's going to be the biggest problem what even if they don't put a pay proposal or if they put a pay scheme in there is will will this other stuff that's kind of been kicked to the side will that ever stop and i don't know if it will yeah i i completely agree i think that the i think that the end game here is not a world with less money handshakes uh i i i think that i think that maybe the the money handshakes mean a little less meaning that uh you know maybe a player who's got a money handshake for a couple thousand dollars uh maybe that handshake isn't as persuasive to them anymore because they know they're going to have that little extra money i don't know that's probably a reach because when you're talking money and you're talking about 19 year old 18 year old kids um yeah money's money but um, my, my problem that I have, uh, I'll start off by saying if we're going to give money to kids, this is definitely the way to do it. Um, I think there should probably be an application process. I think that players like, geez, I don't even know the family structure and I'm basically making irrational judgments based on names. But somehow I don't imagine that Blaine Gabbert's family really all really needed to help him out all that much or you know Peyton Manning as a as a college student probably didn't need an extra $500 a semester but i think that uh, i think that when we're talking about doing this if you're going to do it across the board then i think we should make it a as necessary situation where there's a board that reviews applications and determines who's eligible for the extra benefits versus who's not um, the, the, the other thing that I see here is when you look across the world of college football, there are a fair amount of programs, a fair amount of them that are losing money hand over fist. And I'm not just talking about the William and Mary's and the uh, Wolf Fork State Universities. I'm talking about schools with decent size like University of Connecticut losing millions of dollars by doing what? Making it to a bowl game? I don't know, like the the thought of assuming, as so many people have, that the world of college football is such a profitable world 
that we need to just start shelling out money to these kids who are playing it. I think is a I think it's a fallacy created by the top ten percent of schools who do make an obscene amount of money. I think when you look at the bottom forty percent or so, they're losing money and yeah, this isn't a whole lot of money, but we're talking about three hundred thousand dollars a year when you're talking about football versus basketball. I could see this being a big problem for smaller schools and I actually would contend to say that it does run the risk of affecting the competitive balance of college sports because the University of Connecticut can't afford to do it, so who's going to go there? No, no. It, it, what you're talking about at the top 10% and, and the rest of the football, it, it sounds very similar to our, our current economic whatever proposal. It's capitalism, and that's what you're kind of boiling it down to is these programs like Ohio State, Texas, Notre Dame, USC, they'll have no problem with this this pay-to-play program, whether whether it's there or not. Uh, even some of the top teams in the SEC, you, you won't have a problem there. But like you were saying, it, it's those uh, institutions that aren't well-known, that, that are marginal, and even in BCS standards, that, that will probably have this problem. So, again, it, it's going to boil down to... I know we talked about this last week in, in, in our uh, year year anniversary podcast, but honestly, these kids, as much as yeah, they, they need to possibly get more money. These guys are getting how much money in in free scholarships? So you know, yeah, the, the, you're gonna have push and shove. It's gonna come down to policing, and, and if the NCAA doesn't police properly, no matter what they do, whether there is a pay proposal or or whether there isn't, I think that's that's the biggest thing, because I I think it kind of like you were talking about, even with these pay proposals, I don't think it'll limit what these bigger schools might be willing to do to get a, a, a recruit or two and the NCAA needs to be able to to recognize that this might not be the the best route to go because it's not really fixing anything yeah and I think I think another possible outcome that you see here is you see a lot of mid-level football players going and instead of going to schools like Kent State or Akron or schools where they can really get a lot of playing time, get a lot of exposure, and in some cases make a name for yourself and get to the NFL like Josh Cribbs and, uh, well, we talked about him earlier, uh, uh, James Harrison at, at Pittsburgh. I mean, there's, there's kids that come out of these smaller schools who in this new scenario, these kids are probably taking the money and riding the bench behind other players instead of going to these smaller schools where they can make a name for themselves. Well, speaking of making a name for himself, uh, Lance Armstrong has certainly made a name for himself uh, for, for the good and the bad. Obviously, the, the, the seven Tour de France victories speak for themselves, but um, when, when his victories haven't been speaking for himself, Lance has in his avid denials and uh, brazen statements about drug testing and, and the cleanliness of his, uh, his career. Um, not looking so good for, for Mr. Armstrong, especially after the, uh, uh, his teammate Tyler Hamilton. Is that his name? I, I think that's, that's who it was. Um, I would say about a year, year and a half ago, who came up with the first one because he himself got busted. 
Yeah, Tyler Hamilton came on 60 Minutes uh, earlier this week and made some statements on the show about having personally witnessed Lance Armstrong, uh, you know, doing some some uh, doing some performance enhancing drugs, witnessed him injecting some things, and in this particular case. Uh, you know, different from the Floyd Landis situation, Lance Armstrong is being accused by Tyler Hamilton, a person who has been indicted um, as a witness, I, I, not indicted, I guess, but uh, subpoenaed as a witness, somebody in front of a, uh, that's, that's going to have to repeat these testimonies in front of a grand jury. That makes it a little bit different in my mind, because this isn't necessarily somebody who's just trying to save face. This is somebody who, according to the interview, was very begrudgingly giving up this information, really didn't want to turn his back on his friend. So as far as I'm concerned, this is the most damning of all the evidence that we've seen so far, regardless of the level of details that Landis was able to provide with us. It was still Floyd Landis. Okay, so you, you cleared up my thing was that it, it was a completely different person who was uh... – Giving the information, so yeah, th- th- this is this is definitely a you know kind of a slap in the face for the whole Lance Armstrong legacy. Um, it, honestly, it, it, you know, it was the early two thousands. It, it seems to be that type type of drama, whether it be baseball. I know we speculated maybe Tiger Woods. That it seemed like what athlete wasn't using some sort of performance-enhancing drug, as, as bad as that sounds. Um, and, and um, you know, it might end up that way. And, and it's, it's a shocker, yes, but at this point, because of all the stuff that's already been drug up, whether it be Armstrong, whether it be the, the baseball players of the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, it, as a sport fan, it, it's... It hurts almost, you know, the, the fact that I remember when Lance Armstrong, you know, was, was doing this, you know, winning the, the Tour de France. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is awesome, you know, USA, USA, USA. But to have to have that legacy tainted by the fact that he might have been using drugs, e- even that is kind of not something you're looking forward to as, as, as a sports fan. Now, one thing that uh, one thing I do want to point out is, um, you know, I've seen a lot of articles and a lot of things that uh, have 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 tried to do clever play on words when they when they're talking about the reaction to the story and and bringing the Livestrong organization into it. Um, just so just so we're clear, I I think it's important to remember that Livestrong as an organization, whether there were performance enhancing drugs or not, that contributed to its establishment. Um, I think is irrelevant to the benefit that they provided um, as far as cancer research and uh, aiding with patients and, and things like that. So uh, let's let's uh, let's let's stay classy. Let's leave Livestrong out of the debate when we're talking about Lance Armstrong. Obviously, I know none of us on the show have, have made that made that correlation, but I've seen it a lot, and it, it bothers me a little bit that something good that this guy does gets dragged through the mud because of the bad stuff he's done. Let's leave that alone. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think there's going to be a whole lot of stuff coming out when these grand true grand jury interviews start happening. And, um, I, I got to think that even the most ardent supporter of Lance Armstrong at this point in time is probably starting to see the writing on the wall. 
And uh, this definitely won't be the last of this, although I wish it was. I really do. But, uh, yeah, we'll be hearing a lot more about Lance Armstrong and doping allegations, so stay tuned. Yeah, it's not surprising since, unfortunately, the sport that he's in is it's definitely known as a uh, dopers association with the fact that how many people test positive during the cycling season. Yep, it's a, it's a it's a pretty common occurrence, and and it's funny because the testing there is uh, is rigorous. I mean, it's 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 incredibly rigorous testing that these go these guys go through, and the fact that they're still finding ways to uh, nullify test results and and uh, you know sneak stuff through, it's 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 a little bit jarring to be honest. Um, but yeah, the 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 World Soccer or World Cycling Association has got their hands full with the with the doping situation, and and now it appears that Lance Armstrong has his hands full with it as well. Um, I don't know that we want to spend any more time on that, so uh, <laughs> why don't we cue the outro, Bob? This has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send your suggestions on how we can improve the show in comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT, that's 646-397-6468. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We should have plenty of good action for you next week on the show, so make sure you tune in, and uh, thanks for listening again. I survived the tornadoes.